0: Yeah, unfamiliar territory for the Phoenix Suns as they uh, are down 0-1. They had been 6-0 and in uh, playoff series game ones under Monty Williams. That changed on Sunday. Can they bounce back in game two? Here to talk about it with us, uh, somebody who brought up that very point in the lead to his uh, very comprehensive game two preview on ArizonaSports.com. Our Suns insider, Kellen Olsen, joins us on the Arizona Sports Line. Kellen, good morning. How are you?
1: Morning, doing well.
0: Thanks for having me. Um before we look ahead, let's take a real quick uh quick look back at, at game one and, and we had you on late last week and you were supremely confident in what the Suns would do. Based on what you thought and what you saw, where was the biggest disconnect from what the Suns put out there in your mind?
1: I think just the gap in, in continuity. I thought that the Clippers were going to be in a similar space that the Suns were just in terms of how everything was going to click into place for them and just how it might look like the first playoff game for that group together, which it was going to be because that's the new backcourt for them since, uh, since late February. But they looked completely in tune and completely just – like they've been playing together for multiple years. I, I know that some of that group has been together a while, but so have the Suns. That backcourt specifically, I thought on both ends of the court, they, they were pretty darn good. I know Westbrook was 3 of 19 on offense, but it, his his defensive impact and Gordon's defensive impact as well, Gordon hit the big threes. and You just look at the other end and, and the way that the Suns were unable to get Kevin Durant involved compared to the way that uh, the Clippers were consistently able to get Kawhi Leonard involved was just the biggest overall difference in the game and that's the biggest overall adjustment I'm looking at in yeah. game two for sure.
2: You've been covering the team for a while you know Monty's point five offense better than anybody how do you how do you thread that needle how do you kind of shift a little bit and and get KD's field goal attempts forcing the letting the superstars force the issue rather than moving the ball into the right place.
1: Now, I think it actually comes from doing just that, Dan. You remember that possession, I believe, in the second quarter when it ended in the Devin Booker floater and there were a couple of passes. There was a back and forth between Booker and Durant. That was the only time we really saw the ball get moving, and, and we're used to seeing the ball get moving. I think with what the Clippers were doing strategically, putting Kawhi Leonard on DeAndre for a lot of the game, I think that it led the Suns to looking at it and saying, okay, we want to attack the big mismatch here, which we believe is using Tory Craig as a screener to get Zubach in the action still. And a lot of that and, and the impact of that was just them not really moving the ball that much. They were hardly passing the ball often. It was just like one action and then a shot, not even a pass with it. So I think if they start to get the ball moving and get everyone else moving off of the ball, more importantly, that is when the space will start to open up for Durant more naturally. I think that's what they're going to look to do at the start of the game. But I just think that – the way that money put it yesterday was creating environments for Durant to get the ball more freely because a lot of his involvement in the regular season was starting off of the ball, and the Clippers blew up pretty much everything in that kind of range. He wasn't really getting any looks there. He had to bring the ball up most of the game in order to get his looks. So I think there's a delicate balance there, but it's a really good point you're bringing up, Dan, because I think there is a mindset, especially with their team, and how – they want everyone to shoot. Like when Ish Wainwright and those guys come in, Josh Kogi, they are told, and they and the star players get mad if they don't shoot. That's that's always been their team philosophy, and if you look at the last six minutes, like, okay, Chris and D.A. have the, the mismatch, quote-unquote, they have the more favorable matchup, let's go to them, use Kevin as a spacer, maybe get him on the ball once or twice, that's fine, right? Like, that's how we play. That's not how they should play anymore, because they have Kevin Durant, and he's arguably the best player in the world, he's the best offensive player of all time, and you need to get him the ball pretty much every time in that situation.
0: Kellen Olsen from Arizona Sports, our guest here on the Arizona Sports Line. I know Monty joked yesterday about not divulging what adjustments he'll make for Game 2. Um, uh, one of them I feel pretty strongly about is uh, you know when you have two very pivotal stretches where w- once in the first half, Kellen, a deficit grew for the Suns and once in the second half, a lead evaporated when you had Devin Booker and four bench players on the floor together. I think that's an adjustment that can be made and should be made. Your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I, I agree for sure. I think that. We always get fascinated with game-to-game adjustments, especially when the team loses one, let alone two or three games in a row. But there are a couple of obvious ones to make, and I think that that's one there for sure. The stat that I had in the preview that you mentioned was, I believe there were minus 11 in just under four minutes for those two different stretches. There was one with Biombo, one with Landale. But when Booker was out there with four bench players, that's what was happening. If you look at the first lineup specifically, it was Shaman Kogi, and Wainwright on the perimeter. And I think that that's just a little bit, that's not enough offense out there on the floor. And then I think one of the bigger problems that it's funny because people are talking about all these issues with Monty Williams. And I believe a lot of people miss what I believe is one of the biggest ones for him, which is that oftentimes we see him adjusting to the opponent instead of just Mm -hmm. trying to dictate their own style of play. And what I mean by that is he goes defense heavy. Shamit, Okogi, Wainwright, that's the best possible three guys he could have brought off the bench for defense. Whereas, they're more of an offensive team at this point with the way that they're built specifically and they need a little bit more offense out there. They don't need to be as worried, I think, about what the Clippers are presenting instead of making the Clippers worry about what they present on offense. So I think there'll be one or two more offensive players out there. Maybe it's Damian Lee, Terrence Ross, T G Horn, I'm not exactly sure. Or maybe it'll just be that Devin, Chris, DeAndre, and Kevin, there's always two of them on the floor at all times now except one. Uh, I'm sure we'll see some type of adjustment there because if we see... I, we definitely won't see that same line about there again I yeah, think at the end of the first quarter. Yeah,
2: that, that's a great point about being uh, react reactionary versus uh, being so otherwise. Um, all right, when you take a look um, in terms of campaign and his potential availability do you do you think it might be an important thing because even though Chris Paul has uh, effectively saved himself for this postseason in some regards it, 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 he still doesn't seem to have the, the the bounce the juice and and it seems like the offense kind of rolls a little slower than it might need to at times maybe maybe I'm out of line by even saying that does the return of campaign help in any way
1: well from a pace standpoint with what you're saying Dan it certainly does and you look at certain games where I think campaign is is needed more than others in terms of what he brings and the amount of just like slashing and, and like you said movement like he is going to get to the basket, take the ball inside the three point line, a couple of dribbles, and make the defense rotate. And that's something that the Suns really need to get back to after game one. And that's something that campaign can bring. So I think looking specifically at what the Suns struggled with in game one, I think this is really a, a series and a matchup specifically where they need Cam. But in terms of in terms of how it, it affects Chris and, and his playing time, I'm not sure if there's much there exactly to be honest, because Chris is going to be out there. I think that the more fascinating thing to watch over the course of the game is to see how how much Chris is involved because he he wasn't really that involved in the offense that much leading up to the fourth quarter. And then the fourth quarter is when he started to take over a bit. And that was the point where Kevin, who should have been the one to take over anyway. So how is he able to find his flow? How is he able to find his shots? We talked about catching shoot 3 three-pointers so much. And I believe the only time took- one in that game as a whole. So his role and how it functions and their offense with Durant moving forward is pretty fascinating to watch.
0: Kellen Olson from ArizonaSports. dot com uh, and uh, Arizona Sports cover, uh, joins us here on the uh, Bickley and Murata Morning Show. Uh, the the shift before the game from Monty Williams to to insert Tory Craig into the starting lineup, moving away from the Josh Okogie lineup. That had gone 8-0 in the regular season, and I know the explanation behind it, more size on Kawhi Leonard and, and other reasons, but when you focus on Josh in Game 1, only played 6 minutes and 37 seconds, he played in very short stints, kind of looked frustrated when he was subbed out of the game, really got nothing going from an energy standpoint. Do you expect Monty to be a, a reactive again and maybe switch back to that original starting lineup? <laughs>
1: I don't think so. I think that he'll stick with his guns here, particularly with what he was looking for in the matchup. Um, I am of the low opinion here. I think a lot of people want to see Josh immediately back in the starting lineup. I thought that it was fine for the most part in the starting lineup. The bigger issue that I have is what it did to the bench, and and I don't think yeah. it's fair to say this is the entire reason why the bench's rhythm was off. But with that being said, it did throw off the rotations, and particularly what it did is, Tori, as as you guys both know, He was playing his best basketball of the year here in the last two or three weeks, especially in the moments where he was able to not be a starter anymore. Now he went out there in game one and played really well anyway, but they took their best reserve and, and remember when we were dealing with, with this with Cam Johnson, there would be moments where he would be starting and be like, man, like he might just need to come off the bench anyway because just of how much they need that scoring off of the bench. We dealt with that in the previous two seasons heading into this year and I think that's some of the case here. Uh, with that being said, what Torrey brought, and I think he did a really good job on Kawhi Leonard. The only problem was they were giving him too many free catches. He was just getting to the ball a little bit too easily. We saw that denial from Durant and Leonard with about four minutes left they need a bit more of that but I thought Torrey did really well defending Kawhi and considering how incredible Kawhi is I think you need more of that so I would be surprised if they switch back but hey I said I would be surprised if Josh didn't start and he didn't start so wow. uh, who knows
2: and you turned out to be right about Russell Westbrook being the x-factor all right Scott Foster it's a Scott Foster game Kellen so how do you think Suns Twitter is going to be tonight
1: Oh, it's going to be very relaxing, cool. It's <laughs> very normal. Every time that the whistle blows, everyone's going to be like, I agree with that decision. <laughs> 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 Just like
0: every Scott Foster uh-huh. game, right?
1: Yeah, totally. Like, we're talking about this ref by name. I, it's so crazy how that happens. Like, refs, should, we should know the names of these guys, honestly. Thank you. No offense. We just shouldn't,
2: but we do for reasons. And here he is in Phoenix. Terrific, <laughs> terrific. Thank
1: you, K. We honestly should have been more concerned about Mark Davis. The
0: Suns were two and five in Mark Davis games this year. They had a winning record with Foster as the crew chief.
1: Why do we know his name, too, Vince? Like, I'm over this. All I, right. Thank you, I Kellen.
0: Have, I have no idea. Do,
1: do we have any robot umpires that can come over to the National Basketball <laughs> Association, too? Hot take.
0: Let's do Let players call their own fouls. That would go well, right?
1: <laughs> up, yeah. would get the way.
0: Yeah. Thank you, Kellen. Appreciate it, as always. Uh, Kellen yeah, also joining guys. us on the Arizona Sports Line, And again, he's got a great Game 2 preview. You can read it right now. It's up front and center at ArizonaSports.com.